0: Welcome to our new message series on marriage and relationships called Him and Her. I want you to know we're going to have a good time today. We're going to have some fun. And before we jump into the subject, I want to begin by just letting you know that I'm not up here teaching on this subject because I have a perfect marriage. I'm not the first man to completely understand his wife, and we're not the first couple to have a marriage completely free of issues and conflict. We've got our issues and our challenges just like you do, or just like you will if you're single and hoping to get married in the future. The reason I'm up here is to share some principles that we can all see in the word of God. God, the only one who is perfect, has some things to teach us in his word about the subject of marriage and how to have a great marriage, the kind of marriage he wants for every single one of his sons and daughters. And that's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at some principles from the Bible that apply to all of us and that hopefully we would all like to see at work in our marriages. If you are married, if you get married in the future, alarmingly, the statistics tell us that your marriage has a far greater chance of being average than exceptional. Nobody gets married because they looked at someone and said, you know, if we get together, I think we've got a real shot at an amazingly average marriage. I can see it now. We'll have a set of unrealistic expectations, a tumultuous first few years that lust will get us through. Then we'll have some kids before things really start to die in our relationship. And then we'll spend 15 to 20 years staying together for the kids before inevitably calling it quits. That's not a pitch that anybody ever said yes to. I've never seen that proposal in a romantic movie before. And yet average is exactly where most marriages will end up. That's why it's called average. It's just sort of where things go. Average in our culture means there's a greater than 50% chance you will get divorced. Average in our culture means buying into the media's portrayal of marriage that chemistry and fun and excitement inevitably die over the course of the years, the kids, the career, and that boredom stemming from familiarity is the inevitable destination of every marriage. And here's what's terrifying about the term average. All you have to do to get there, all you have to do to get an average marriage is nothing. Average is just kind of where you end up after time passes. Right now, you're all thinking, oh, I see what's going on. This is one of those feel-good messages, but hang with me, hang with me. This is going to turn a corner. Average is where you just kind of end up unless, unless you do something different. Unless you chart a different course, unless you set different goals, unless you refuse to settle for anything less than a great marriage. And that's why we're here today talking about marriage. I applaud you for being here. You're making an investment in the marriage that you have or the marriage that you're going to have. And just by being here, just by listening to this message right now, you are showing that you care about having an exceptional and not an average marriage. And that's good news. That's a good place to start. You know, the Bible says that nobody builds a tower without first counting the cost. And when it comes to marriage, it's so hard to know what it's going to cost because our culture and our media lies to us all the time about what marriage is really like. If you're a guy who was going into marriage or went into marriage and is now married, you probably think or thought that the quote unquote cost of marriage was on-demand sex. I'll just be able to have sex whenever I want. And if that's the price I have to pay, then, you know, I'll just have to deal with it. And if you're a girl who's married now, you probably thought, you know, I'm going to have to get married at some point and just deal with the end of loneliness. I'll just have to deal put up with always having someone to talk with. I'll just have to put up with sitting with someone I love in front of the fire for hours and sharing vulnerably and emotionally with each other. I'll I'll just have to deal with it. Card companies and romantic movies make a living by lying to us about what marriage is really like. The truth is it's not romantic and breezy most of the time. Most of the time, it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's battles and wars and hard, hard work. But that's what makes it so meaningful. And today, that's what I want to talk about. Specifically, I want us to talk about friendship. Because make a note of this. It's your first fill-in. Marriage is the most intense friendship we were ever meant to have. Marriage is the most intense friendship we were ever meant to have. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage and a lot to say about friendship. And surely we can all agree that marriage is supposed to be a superior, a higher relationship than friendship. And if that's the truth, then maybe we would benefit from looking at what God's word has to tell us about friendship. I think we all understand that In a healthy relationship, friendship precedes marriage. It comes before marriage. If you can't get along with someone enough to be friends, the marriage probably doesn't have a good chance of making it. It's just the truth. After becoming friends with someone, what happens next? Well, then you become good friends. Then you become very good friends. And then you realize you want to become very good friends. And through that progression, you become more and more vulnerable and more and more trusting. You become emotionally naked, which leads to you quickly wanting to become physically naked. Now, at this point, we got to slam on the brakes so I can share a quick note with those of you who aren't married yet. Listen to me. You cannot take a relationship to this naked emotional level for very long unless you're ready to get married because physical nakedness is never far behind emotional nakedness. So if you're pouring out your heart to each other, sharing your deepest secrets, just know that's gonna lead from emotional nakedness to physical nakedness very, very quickly. So don't be doing that if you're not in a place where you're ready and prepared and willing to get married. Single woman, don't take advantage of a single man by getting your emotional fix from him. Don't manipulate him into being emotionally naked with you if you have no interest or intention of marrying him and being physically naked. With him. You're literally manipulating him. You're taking advantage of him. You're using him. Don't hide behind the rhetoric of, oh, we're just good friends. You're using him. Don't do that. Single men, my warning to you don't get trapped in the friend zone. It's real and it's deadly. If you're in one of those situations with someone who thinks you're just a great friend, but you know they have no intention of ever marrying you, you need to get out of that situation. Many a good man has died in the friend zone, and God doesn't want that for you. He wants something better than the friend zone for you. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. In other words, if you want to have friends, you got to learn how to be a friend, If you want to have people be friendly to you, you got to be friendly to them. So in the principle of marriage, we would say, if you want your spouse to be your best friend, then you need to learn how to be their best friend. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's begin here. What makes someone a good friend? I think that's a question worth asking in marriage. And then realizing that your relationship with your spouse should be marked by those Qualities, Whatever a good friend is, all of those qualities should be in your marriage. If marriage is the higher superior relationship than friendship. All of those qualities should be in your marriage, but in a more intense form than you experience with anybody else in life. And so I want us to look at a few key aspects of a good friend, but this list is going to be far from complete. If you're looking for an exercise you can do with your spouse this week. And as soon as I said that, every woman went, "Yeah." And every guy went, oh, but it's not that hard. Don't worry. It's not too scary. Here's an exercise I encourage you to do. Both you and your spouse sit down separately and write down a list of the qualities you consider a good friend to have. Don't be thinking about your spouse when you do this. Just answer this question. What are the qualities of a good friend. And then get together and share your lists. This isn't about being critical. This is about understanding each other. And then really (laughs) listen to your spouse because they are going to tell you how to be a good friend to them. And you might hear some things in their list that you've never thought about or you've never realized, man, I had no idea that quality was so important to them. I had no idea doing that was something they considered would make somebody a good friend. Do that exercise. Write a list, share it with each other. It's going to help you to be better friends to each other and evaluate what's important to your spouse. The first quality of a good friend, and I think the most important is loyalty. Write this down. A good friend is loyal. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why people love dogs so much. Well, I recently figured it out, but here's why I couldn't for many, many years. They smell They slobber and drool on things. They shed all over your furniture. They wreck stuff. They dig holes in your yard. They want to lick your face with the same tongue they just used to lick their. Well, never mind. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. They make you pick up their poop. I know people who tell me that they cannot wait for their small children to be out of diapers. And as soon as they are, they go and they get a dog so that they can pick up poop from an even lower animal than their own child. I don't get it, but then I figured it out. You know why people love dogs so much? It's because dogs are loyal. Your cat doesn't care about you, but a dog will be loyal. A dog excels at one thing, being there being with you dogs are loyal my brother-in-law has a dog that might be one of the ugliest animals i've ever seen in my life it literally looks like one of the creatures from the gremlins movie if you've seen that movie then you understand i get nervous anytime their dog gets around water i think something crazy is about to happen but they love that dog they think that dog is cute And you know what? Most other people agree. It's not like they're the weird ones. I'm the weird one because I think the dog is ugly, but everybody else loves the dog. They love it. Why? Because the loyalty dogs have makes people love dogs. Dogs excel at being there and being glad to be around you. And that is worth a lot to most people. A good friend is loyal because they've committed to the friendship. Loyalty isn't proven when everything is easy. Have you noticed this? Loyalty shows itself when things are difficult, when they're confusing, when things look bad, when there's a rumor floating out there about you that sounds legit, you're gonna find out if your friends are loyal. When you are no longer on the winning team, when you're no longer popular or well-liked, you're gonna find out if your friends are loyal. When you really can't do that much for them, because maybe you're dealing with a rough season emotionally, you're going to find out if your friends are loyal. It's been well said that a friend is someone who's walking in when everybody else is walking out. And best friends have war stories. They've gone through those experiences together. They've been there for each other. When one was weak, the other provided strength. I have friends who served in the armed forces and they have a kinship. They have a friendship with their brothers in arms that was gained by fighting shoulder to shoulder. They're not friends. They're not connected because they like the same things, come from the same place, enjoy the same hobbies. It's a friendship. It's a bond that was formed in the trenches in war. I love what Proverbs 17:17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, real best friends always shine brightest when you are facing a time of darkness. They love you at all times, not just when it's easy, because they're loyal, because they're committed to you. Jesus Himself values loyalty highly. He said this to his disciples, it's on your outlines, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus says, because you were with me in my trials... You're worthy to sit with me in the kingdom of God forever. Jesus cares deeply about loyalty and he calls those who love him his friends. But even Jesus expects that his friends will be loyal to him. Make a note of this loyalty is the foundation of a great friendship. It's the foundation of a great friendship. Why? Because loyalty creates trust. You can write that down too. Loyalty creates trust. And trust is the glue that holds a friendship together during difficult times. You see, we get this when it comes to normal relationships, but we often overlook it when it comes to marriage. And hear me on this. Men want a real best friend just as much as women do. It's a myth that women care about this more than men. Every man wants a real best friend who's committed to them. In fact, a deep and meaningful friendship is one of the only things that'll make a guy choke up when he's watching a movie. When I was thinking about this, I immediately thought of Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. But there's this line between the two best friends that comes up at the beginning of the movie and then again at the end of the movie and it's only in there to make every guy who watches the movie choke up and go, man, I'm sorry, I got something in my eye. So let me tell you the scene. You got Steve Rogers before he becomes Captain America. He's a scrawny wimp with a big heart. And his best friend is a brawny guy named Bucky. And one time Steve Rogers is getting picked on and Bucky comes to rescue him and Steve Rogers is really down. And Bucky, this is around the time of World War II, looks at him and he just says, hey, Steve, listen, I'm with you to the end of the line. Now you fast forward. 80 years later Steve Rogers has become Captain America he's been frozen in the Arctic he's been revived but we find out that Bucky has been kidnapped by Hydra the bad guys brainwashed into becoming an evil enemy assassin and the mission that he's given is to kill his old friend Steve Rogers who's now Captain America and in the climax of the movie they're fighting on this huge ship floating in the sky they're fighting, they're fighting and Captain America refuses to kill Bucky and Bucky who is now the Winter Soldier says you are my mission and then Steve Rogers Captain America says this he says then finish your mission because I'm with you to the end of the line even though I'm telling you the story secondhand most of you guys were still like oh man that's so good somebody give me a hug and you know why because every guy wants a real best friend Every guy wants the friend that we know is with us no matter what. And when we take our wedding vows, it's supposed to be that commitment. We even promise that we're in for better or worse, sickness or health, all of that stuff, because we all need to hear from somebody, I'm with you to the end of the line. If you lose your job, if we lose the house, If we have to move to another city, if one of us gets cancer, if you make an incredibly stupid decision, if you gain weight or lose weight, if you choose to wear a man bun or pretend that yoga pants are actually real pants, even if you do that, I'm with you to the end of the line. Listen, wives, your husbands need to hear that. And husbands, your wives need to hear that. Does your spouse know that you're all in? Does your spouse know in the depth of their soul that if it all falls apart, you will be in the trench right next to them? You won't be found running? You'll be with them? They need to know that. Man, they need to know that. Loyalty is the foundation of a good friendship. And using logic, if loyalty is the foundation of a good friendship, and marriage is the most intense friendship you'll ever have. We should be able to logically agree that loyalty is foundational to a good marriage. And when I say that, I don't just mean that you shouldn't cheat on your spouse. I'm talking about being loyal to them, allied with them, on their side when it's time to take sides. I'm talking about a position of priority in your relationships. For the believer, God is always first, but the spouse is second. I want you to write that down. For the believer, God is always first, but the spouse is second. You are to be more loyal to your spouse than you are to your mom, your dad, your kids, your friends, anyone else except God. Are you hearing me on this? I don't want you to be confused. You're to be more loyal to your spouse than any other person on earth. It all comes down to Genesis 2.24. Right there at the beginning of the Bible, the Lord says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh so according to God we are supposed to separate from our mother and father it doesn't mean we don't love them we don't cherish and respect them but it means we are to become one with our wife we are not one with our mom and dad and then inviting our spouse to also be one with us and our mom and dad we are to become one our own individual entity outside of anyone else when you get married before you even and have a child, you are complete as a family. Kids are a welcome addition to your family, but you are a complete family according to Genesis 224. The moment you marry your spouse. This is a big question. Does your spouse know and believe that your loyalty is to them more than it is to your mom, dad, kids, friends, job, or anything else? Does your spouse know and believe that? If you don't believe that about your spouse, you need to tell them and you need to talk about it. And you need to share with them specifically what they need to do to change the situation. And if your spouse comes to you and shares this, listen to me, be quiet and listen. Don't tell them they're being ridiculous it doesn't matter what you think, seriously. It matters how you're making your spouse feel. Their perception is their reality. Did you catch that? Their perception is their reality. And so you have to figure out how to change their perception. You have to figure out what changes you need to make to make them feel and believe that they are your priority. This is the foundation of everything in marriage, loyalty. You cannot gloss this over and breeze past this and go and work on the other stuff. You can't ignore this and go on to all the other stuff we're gonna talk about in this series. You are building a house on sand if your loyalty is not a settled issue in the mind of your spouse. Secondly, make a note of this, a good friend is honest. A good friend is honest. This doesn't mean that they remove any type of filter between their brain and their mouth when they talk to you. That's just being a jerk. That's not being honest. What it means is that they'll never conceal the truth from you, even when you might want them to, and even when it's hard to hear, and even when it's going to make things difficult. It's not hard to find people who will only tell you what you want to hear. People like that are everywhere, and they don't care about you because they're only telling you what is gonna make their life easiest. Their thought process is not, what's best for my friend? Their thought process is, what will make this easiest for me? I don't wanna deal with their drama, I don't wanna have a long conversation, so I'll just tell them what I know they wanna hear anyway. A good friend is truthful, even when it costs them something. And the cost in your marriage may be awkwardness, it may be them being angry, It may be them accusing you of being a bad friend, but a good friend is willing to pay the cost of being honest because they genuinely care about what's best for you, not what is easiest for them. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's deep. And the first thing I want us to notice is that this verse makes it clear that a friend will sometimes wound you. Did you get that? A friend will sometimes wound you. That means that according to the Bible, we have to let go of this stupid cultural lie that a real friend only speaks positive, affirming things into your lives. And we need to realize that a real friend has to say sometimes, there's a booger hanging out of your nose. You missed it. It's still there. No, it's still there. Here's a mirror. Do you see it? That's what a real friend has to do sometimes. Sometimes they have to share hard truths, and it doesn't mean they're a bad friend. It usually means just the opposite. Do you understand now why we said loyalty is the most important thing in a friendship? Loyalty creates trust, and without trust, there cannot be honesty. And a lot of us are terrible at this. Let's just be honest. A lot of us will take a wound, an honest word of correction from a brother or sister in the Lord, somebody in this church or from a pastor before we'll take it from our spouse. And that's a problem because when we refuse to receive honesty from our spouse, when we say, I don't need to hear that from you, you have ulterior motives, but we're willing to receive it from someone who's more of an acquaintance When we do that, we're unintentionally communicating one of two things. We're either communicating, I don't believe you're really all in, so you're questioning your partner's motives, or you're saying, I'm not all in. You're saying, I know there's an issue, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. And what that can communicate is, man, I'm not really planning on sticking this thing out. I don't want to do the difficult work because I'm going to try and find an escape hatch in the future. I've shared this before, but I want to mention it again. Charlene and I have a philosophy that I'll share with you and then explain. This is what we agree on as a couple. We'd rather have a crappy day than a crappy week. We'd rather have a crappy week than a crappy month. We'd rather have a crappy month than a crappy year, and we'd rather have a crappy year than a crappy life. I know, you're like, that's a lot of crap. No, that's marriage. That's just what marriage is sometimes. But for Charlene and I, that's our own way of saying, hey, when there's something we need to deal with in either of us or between us, we're going to be honest with each other and we're going to deal with it as messy as it gets and as long as it may take because we're all in. We're all in we've committed to this thing. We're not going anywhere. We don't have parachutes in the back of this plane in case either of us change our mind at some point. We're all in till death do us part. We're committed to this thing called marriage. And it's that commitment which gives us the room to deal with our issues. You can't deal with issues when you're worried that the person might split or leave. You can't have a hard conversation if you feel like the person is looking over their shoulder and has one foot out the door. I want to encourage you to make a commitment like that in your marriage. Listen, we're still working out the kinks in our marriage. We've still got issues. But this commitment to be all in in dealing with our issues has made a huge difference and continues to make a huge, huge difference in our relationship. I want to encourage you to talk with your spouse about making a commitment like that to each other, that you're not going to just drift into bitterness by not dealing with things over time. And if your spouse comes to you to talk about an issue... Don't punish them if they don't do a good job and don't get the words right or get the tone right. Understand where they're coming from. They're coming from a good place. Trust where they're coming from and trust that they care about the relationship. Now on the flip side, you need to be trustworthy. Do you remember what the verse said? It said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So what does it mean to wound, to be honest with your spouse as a friend in a faithful manner? It means going to them out of love for them and love for your marriage. It doesn't mean going to your spouse and wounding them because you needed to vent. It doesn't mean going to your spouse and wounding them because you just couldn't put up with it anymore. It doesn't mean going to your spouse and wounding them because you wanted to go tit for tat or humble them or teach them a lesson. That's not being faithful. That's not a wound that can be trusted. A good friend is honest out of love for the other person and love for the relationship. So if you need to take some time to calm down, to get yourself together, to pray, to make sure that you're approaching the issue out of love for them and love for your marriage, then do that. Don't rush into it in the wrong emotional state. And as a side note here, I want to point out a truth that's been around for a long, long time because it is just that. It is a truth. Familiarity breeds contempt it really does. A lot of the time, our marriages would be a lot better if we could just manage to be as polite and courteous to our spouse as we are to the strangers that we interact with on a daily basis in our lives. Isn't that the truth? That's where contempt can come out. We just don't put the effort in anymore. And you might say, I don't have contempt for my spouse, but where I see this show up in my life is in the amount of effort, the amount of care, that I put into how I communicate with my wife. It's so easy for us to say, I'm just being real, or I'm just dropping a truth bomb, when what we're really doing is having an attitude of, we're married, you're stuck with me. I don't have to put the same care and effort into how I communicate with you, because I'm not trying to earn a relationship with you anymore. That might hit a little bit too close to home, right? The fact that a good friend is honest, is not a license to be reckless with your spouse's heart. It's not a license to communicate without care. It's not a license to be blunt just because it's easier and takes less effort than being tactful. Your spouse, my spouse, deserve our best efforts at communicating in honesty. They deserve nothing less than our best efforts at communicating in honesty. Let's not be lazy. Let's not be full of contempt toward our spouse by treating them like they don't deserve our best efforts in the way we communicate. So make a note of this. Put effort into how you communicate with your spouse and remember that familiarity breeds contempt. Put effort into how you communicate with your spouse and remember That familiarity breeds contempt. Recognize that in yourself if that's an issue for you, like it can be for me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A cut can either be made for the purpose of beneficial surgery or out of malicious intent to wound. A good friend only wounds when it's for your benefit. And improving your marriage is to your benefit. But to understand this, if this is going to work in your marriage, you have to be mature enough to recognize that just because something hurts doesn't mean it's bad. Just because having to deal with an issue or having your partner shine a light on something in your life or in your relationship makes you feel angry. Just because it makes you feel embarrassed doesn't mean that it's bad. Sometimes they're just hitting the nail right on the head and guess what, the truth really does hurt. In those moments, don't take out your embarrassment or your anger on your spouse. Don't punish them for maybe being the only person in the world who's willing to be totally honest with you, who cares enough to do that, who's willing to pay the price to do what's best for you in your marriage. Don't wound your spouse unless you know you can do it faithfully. And the only way to know that you are doing it faithfully is to be connected to the Lord, connected to his word. We all get in those situations where we find ourselves wondering, should I bring this up? Do we need to talk about this? And the truth is that only God knows the answer. Only the Lord knows where your spouse is at, what their emotional state is, what else is going on in their brain today. Only God knows. Listen, the Holy Spirit is called the helper in the Bible. Do you know why? It's because God knows that we need help. If you haven't figured it out yet, your marriage needs help. My marriage needs help. We need the helper, the Holy Spirit to be active in our marriages. Do you remember Job's friends from the book of Job? Job is being used by God as an example of faithfulness in suffering. He's going through some difficult stuff. He doesn't understand why, nobody else understands why, but the Bible pulls back the curtain and lets us know that God is using him as an example of how to suffer well, how to suffer the right way. And Job had no idea at this time, though, that he was gonna be an inspiration and a comfort to millions of believers for thousands of years into the future well job's friends show up and at first they do a lot of things right they actually show up in his hour of suffering that's a good thing they empathize with him and they mourn with him it says they tear their clothes they put on ashes and sackcloth which were signs of mourning and they join job in his sadness and his travail Even better, they actually stick around with Job for seven days before they offer any type of advice. They just sit with him in his suffering. But then they begin to give advice. And their advice is based on their own insights, what they can see and perceive. And they tell Job that the only explanation for his suffering is that he must have sinned in some way to anger God. Their counsel to him is, Job, just come on and repent for your sins so that God can stop punishing you. And the book of Job records that God was angry with Job's friends because they misrepresented the Lord. You see, he wasn't angry at Job. He was doing something much, much bigger than that. If we're going to be honest with our spouses, if we're going to wound them faithfully, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to help us. Because we, just like Job's friends, cannot always see and understand what's going on by just looking with our eyes and listening with our ears. We need the Holy Spirit to pull back the curtain and reveal some things that might really be going on that we would not see unless the Lord shows us. So this is how you do that. You simply ask for the help of the helper, the Holy Spirit, in prayer. I'm not talking about praying for 30 minutes a day for your spouse, I'm talking about short, quick prayers. Before you raise an issue, pray. During the discussion, pray. And after the discussion, pray. You'll be amazed how hard it is to lose control of yourself emotionally if you're actually praying during the conversation, if you're praying as you listen to your spouse share. You'll be astounded what God will do when you will invite him into your marriage and into those moments of difficulty. So make a note of this. When communicating with your spouse, ask for help from the helper the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I promise he will. There have been so many times in my marriage, I'll speak from experience here, where only the grace of God and the Holy Spirit helping has helped us have a breakthrough. There have been many times when I've just been locked in that stubborn mode that we can get into as guys. I've been locked in that. And there was nothing my wife could do to get me out of that, but the Holy Spirit came along and ministered to me and softened my heart and changed me and opened my eyes and led me to repentance. The Holy Spirit did that. And he wants to do that in your marriage in those moments where you're deadlocked. So invite him to do that in your relationship. Where there's a foundation of loyalty, it's going to create the trust necessary for there to be real honesty. And it will also create an environment where they can be vulnerability. Make a note of this, a good friend is vulnerable a good friend is vulnerable. For our purposes, let's define vulnerability as a willingness to share oneself honestly with another person. Again, with marriage being the most intense friendship, there are going to be levels of sharing oneself that you simply will not do with other friends. And When I say that, we're probably all thinking of physical nakedness, but marriage is designed to be a relationship where we are naked with our spouse in every other area as well. Emotionally, spiritually, and even mentally. Marriage is intended by God to be a place for you to be vulnerable, for you to be naked with your spouse in all areas. And as a spouse, get this, this is huge. As a spouse, it is our job to never stop working to make our spouse feel safe being vulnerable with us. As a spouse, it is our job to never stop working to make our spouse feel safe being vulnerable with us. And the way that happens is by constant affirmation. Write that down. It happens through constant affirmation. Wives need to be told by their husbands that they're beautiful, over and over and over. And husbands need to be told by their wives that they believe in them, over and over and over. I'm so serious about what I'm about to say next and I sound stern because I want to be stern about this. Listen, God has not given any of you the ministry or the job of keeping your spouse humble. God has not given you the ministry of keeping their ego in check. God has not called you to do that. Do you know what will keep your spouse humble? Just this little thing called life life will keep your spouse humble and if that doesn't work the lord has a million ways to keep your spouse humble your spouse does not need somebody to keep them humble your spouse needs somebody to encourage them to lift them up to speak life into them to breathe life into them your spouse needs encouragement and affirmation that's why god put you in their life so that you could represent the love of god the kindness of god to them so that in their interactions with you, in their interactions with me, our spouses would feel the love of God and the kindness of God. God's never out to teach us a lesson and God hasn't called you to teach your spouse a lesson either. God put you in their life to affirm them and to encourage them and to lift them up. May we never take for granted our spouse's willingness to be vulnerable with us. It is to be treasured. It is a big thing for someone to be vulnerable with you, to put their heart on the line because they trust you, or to put their heart on the line because they want the best marriage that they can possibly get. That's a big deal. Don't ever take that for granted. If you're not married, here's what you need to know. Marriage is designed by God to be a place of naked vulnerability in every area, In our culture, both men and women are generally more than willing to be naked physically with another person. But if that person doesn't want to marry you, what they're actually saying is, I'm not willing to be economically naked with you. I'm not willing to be socially naked with you. I'm not willing to be legally naked with you. It's all meant to be a package deal, and you are robbing yourself of the best friendship you'll ever have if you agree to anything less than the whole package. They're not really being vulnerable with you if they're willing to be physically naked but not economically naked with you. They're not really being vulnerable. Don't fall for that. Lastly, put this on your outlines. A good friend is a blessing. A good friend is a blessing. Nobody has a good friend who they dread seeing. Nobody has a good friend who they avoid at all costs. A good friend is someone you're glad to see, you look forward to spending time with, someone who adds to your life. And as a spouse, it is our mission to be a blessing to our spouse. It is our mission to be a blessing to our spouse. And what I've noticed about my flesh, about my sin nature, is that it loves to reverse that. My flesh wants me to get focused on the fact that my wife should make it her mission in life to bless me. And instead of me being focused on being a blessing to her, I get focused on judging how she's doing at being a blessing to me. And you know what? That is one of the most disastrous states of mind that you can get into. Because when you become focused on your spouse being a blessing to you, you will always be dissatisfied. They will never do a good enough job. But if you will choose to instead focus on being a blessing to them, listen, you will be blessed. You will find being a blessing to them a blessing to you. Some of you are in situations right now where you are just trapped and stuck in this situation. You're in this downward spiral where both of you are dissatisfied with each other and you're both saying, you're not doing a good enough job at being a blessing to me. Listen, if you're in that situation, here's how you break that stalemate. You first recognize that you do not have the power to force your spouse to be a blessing to you. That's not within your control. The only thing you have control over is whether or not you will choose to focus on being a blessing to them. And if you will do that, you know, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You will find similarly the kindness that you show to your spouse as you focus on being a blessing to them will soften their heart and it will result in you being blessed at the end of the day. That's where it will lead. You will always be dissatisfied if you focus on others being a blessing to you. But you will always be blessed if you will focus on being a blessing to others. Listen, is your spouse glad when you walk in the room? How are you doing at just being a blessing to them? If you're stuck in this stalemate of dissatisfaction, then I want to encourage you, choose to refocus on being a blessing to them. You be a blessing to them. And my goodness, do the blessings of marriage ever exceed the blessings of any other friendship. The companionship, having someone praying for you, sharing life with someone, having kids and then grandkids, having a spiritual legacy to have someone know you, I mean, really know you, all your flaws, all your broken pieces and still choose to love you. It's amazing. Marriage is meant to be the best blessing in this life outside of knowing God. And on that note, listen, this is good practical advice here. You want to be the person as a friend that your spouse has fun with. When your husband is laughing at a YouTube video of someone getting hit in the crotch by an errant golf club, ladies, I know in that moment you're thinking, I married an idiot, I married an idiot. But let me give you a good word of advice, you need to learn how to laugh with your husband even at that stupid stuff. Or at a minimum you can do what Charlene does with me. She laughs, but she says, Jeff, I just want to be clear, I'm not laughing at the video, I'm laughing at you! I'm laughing at you laughing at the video! And she will die laughing at me as I'm going, this is so funny, these are cats playing keyboards, this is incredible! And she'll just laugh at me. But you know what? We have a good time. And I share those stupid things with her because I know we're still going to end up laughing together and having fun as a couple. When you care about someone, you'll try to care about the things they care about. So husbands, when your wife is excited to paint the living room a shade of white that you swear looks exactly the same as the current shade of white, you got to pretend, hey, babe, I'm over the moon. I'm right there with you. I agree. Painting it apple white is going to be so much better than blizzard white. This is going to be a great thing. Listen, wives... Your husband knows if you're only pretending to be interested in sports, and he still appreciates it. He still appreciates it. Men, your wife knows that you're not really excited to eat salad out of a mason jar because she saw it on Pinterest. She knows you're pretending, and guess what? She still appreciates it. Your spouse appreciates the effort. I'm being a bit facetious to make my point, but my point is this. If you're going to be a good friend, you're going to need to make an effort to be someone your spouse wants to share things with, even stupid, silly, little things. When something makes your spouse laugh or cry or think deeply, you want to be that safe place, that good friend, that fun place for them to share those things. So write this down. If I value you, I will value the things you care about. If I value you, I will value the things you care about, or at least I'll pretend to value them because I care about you. They may not be valuable to me, but you are valuable to me, and your valuing a thing gives it value to me. G.K. Chesterton said, the meanest fear is the fear of looking sentimental, and what he meant by that is the most horrible fear, the saddest, most tragic fear is a fear of being seen emotionally vulnerable. He said, so many times we say so long when what we really mean is I miss you and I love you. And we're afraid to say it. And the person who's afraid to say it, the person who's not willing to learn how to express that is not yet able to really be a blessing to their spouse. If you're married, you gotta do everything you possibly can to become best friends with your spouse. Some of you may need to sit down with your spouse today and say, you know, to be honest with you there, There's some things that I can't talk with you about. To be honest, I know that if I talk to you about what's really close to my heart in this area, I'm going to get a yawn or a laugh or you're just going to dismiss it. But I have to talk to you about those things that are keeping me from being really honest and vulnerable with you. We got to do something about it. And if that's you, just know that your spouse will probably need to share the same thing because it's pretty rare for one person to say, I'm totally honest and vulnerable with you. And then for the other person to say, oh, really? I'm not. It doesn't really happen that way. If it's an issue for one of you, it's probably an issue in your marriage for both of you. But you've got to do everything you can. You've got to be willing to pay whatever price you have to pay to become best friends. It doesn't matter what the cost is. You've got to become best friends. You can't settle for less than that. It doesn't matter how difficult it is or how long the awkwardness lasts for because we're all in, right? Right? We're all in. We're all into this thing called marriage. Marriage. So a couple of couples exercises for this week. Make that list of qualities you consider a good friend would have and then share it with your spouse. And if you don't feel or believe that your spouse is loyal to you above everyone else except God, then you need to talk about it. And if your spouse talks to you about it, listen to them. Their perception is their reality. Lastly, I want to invite you to make an investment in your marriage or your future marriage by not missing the next two weeks of this series. If you're serious about having an exceptional marriage, set aside the next two Sundays to join us for the next two messages in this series. I promise you will be so glad if you do. And then maybe share this with someone. Invite them to come to the last two messages. If you're listening online, and invite them to listen. You can just say, hey, we're working on our marriage because we care a lot about it. I know you wanna have a great marriage too, so maybe this will bless you. Maybe it's a way for someone to come and know Jesus. Don't settle for an average marriage when God wants greatness for your marriage. We started by pointing out Proverbs 18.24, which reads, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. The verse ends like this, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend, for you and I, is Jesus. He's the ultimate friend. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And the Bible says that even when we're faithless, he is faithful. Some of you come from backgrounds where you've never really had a good friend. You don't know what it's really like to be loved by a good friend and you're never gonna be able to do that for someone else. You're not gonna be able to do that for your husband or for your wife until you've experienced it yourself. Jesus is our reference point. He's your reference point. He's our example. He's our role model. Jesus is where we learn how to be a best friend, how to be a good friend from the way that he is a friend to us. The best thing, Please hear me on this. The best thing you can do for your spouse is to have a deep connection and relationship with Jesus. It's the very best thing you can do for your marriage. If you've been neglecting that, turn back to Jesus today. Turn back and begin investing in that relationship again. And if you've never had that relationship with Jesus, begin that relationship today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that you love us. And you didn't just leave us on our own to figure out this thing called life, but you gave us your word so that we would know you didn't want us to have average relationships, but you wanted greatness for us in our marriages and in our families. Father, we repent for where we've taken that for granted. Lord, what a thing it is that you would look down on one of your sons or daughters and then say to us, I'm giving them to you. I'm giving them to you to be a blessing to you. I'm giving them to you so that you will learn what it means to be loved and so that you can learn what it is to really love someone. I'm giving them to you. God, forgive us for when we have taken the gift of our spouse for granted. God, we're sorry and we don't want to take it lightly. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would melt our hearts and break our hearts where they're hard. Lord, I pray for every couple listening to this message right now who has fallen into bitterness and anger and over time through just not dealing with it, it's turned into apathy and now things are just dead. Father, I pray you would pour grace upon grace upon grace upon us, Lord. We need your grace. We need your grace and mercy on our marriages. We're asking that where we have let bitterness take root, you would break our hearts wide open. You would break us. You would lead us to repentance where we need to do that, Lord, and that you would do a healing work as only you can do. Lord, we trust you, and we trust that your idea, your plan for marriage is best. We love you, and we pray that we would have marriages and families that honor you that we would honor you in the way we love our spouses. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for being the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Thank you for being our role model, our example, and our reference point, Jesus. We love you. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen.